We're recording. We're going? Yeah, Where's the music? Recording. I don't I just hit the record because I we were dicking around and thought it was fun. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Sweat Equity Podcast. The number one business comedy comedy podcast. Business comedy podcast. Comedy comedy business business comedy podcast in the world. Oh my god, not anymore. Dude, we're number one. Not anymore. Not after that intro. Dude, our our homie our homie Chris Beal out of uh, Seattle. Mm -hmm. He's dropping a lot of psychology ops on us. A lot of what was it called? Uh, Tactical empathy. Yes. Wait, he did that to us? Oh, he totally did it to I us. I didn't even know. Oh, dude. We Whoa. were like, we, let's go be friends with him. Let's go fly to Seattle. Um, listen to us on Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Amazon Podcast, Amazon Music, sure. uh, Google Podcast, iHeart Radio, iHeart Podcast. Mm-hmm. We're on everything, man. You know how it do. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, this episode that was good. All our um, all our sponsors are in the episode description, and I'm gonna Four reel right through them. Squarespace, build a website, ho. Yeah, I need to apologize for my kids throughout this entire episode. Acting like maniacs out there. Call, it comes through. Call rail, call tracking. You want to track all the calls on your website and get them all recorded? Chris, Chris probably has better technology, but if you're lowly like us. You can do call rail, call tracking. It's good for your marketing. And LinkedIn Premium, two months free. See what creepy people are looking at your profile. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the thing? Now that, you're the creep. Did you see the guy that hit me up in InMail? His name's yes. Jeff Epstein? Yes. <laughs> oh, you couldn't just let that go. No, I was like, you couldn't let that go. man, you got a tough life. And if you want to be our BFF, subscribe to the pod, raise five stars, write a review, share the show. Let's get it started. With some B2B sales talk. Hot and done it! Sweat equity. Listening to the Sweat Equity Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Well, sir. All right. What are we what are we sweating and equitizing today? That's what I want to know. Talking some B2B sales strategies, sounds like. I've heard about pitch. those. I don't I don't believe in them. B2B sales. That shit doesn't go. That doesn't happen. Ooh. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that, circle back around to that. We're going, by the way. We just I don't know if you Got to listen to any episodes before coming on here, but you seem like a pretty busy, big-time deal kind of guy. I'm a, I'm a sad sack who goes into <laughs> spreadsheets and then yaps at people, and then somebody at the end says, what was that? Yeah, well, we, we appreciate that. There's a certain type I like, like a that. good spreadsheet every once in a while. Yeah, Very yeah, handy. I to avoid them, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, what, what are we going to talk about? Um, we're, we're going, we're recording, and um, uh, what we try to do up front is let everybody know, we let you do the plugs, we let the guests do the plugs, instead of me trying to read them incorrectly out loud. It's really better that oh, way. Fantastic. So, uh, where can people find you? <laughs> What's that? I don't even have any plugs, but I'll say something. Do you want me to say like who I am or what we do, and then we move on? We won't. We're not editing any of this out. So, <laughs> <Love> <laughs> so we're so going. There, yeah. So we're live let, on tape. Let it roll, baby. Yeah. 
We're live. Excellent. Uh, connectandsell.com is one of them, right? Yeah, Connect and Sell. That's it. Yep. And you had a podcast I was looking for at Market Dominance Guys. Market Dominance Guys. So I think we're going to record episode 197 immediately after this. Well, Maybe man. We don't want to get into a pissing contest with you, but, you know, this is 429. Most people deal. don't get no, that you far. Are, you're for real. We were totally accidental, and I still don't want to do any more, but it seems <laughs> like a rocket sled. It takes off. You can't stop it. Yeah. No, most people don't get past 20 or so. Like, I'm going to do a podcast, and they run out of stuff to talk about. We yeah. wanted to write well, we, the ex-partner wanted to write a book, and I could tell, but it turned into a podcast. Yeah, we're we're we've been playing around with the idea of taking these interviews and then putting yeah, them into a it. book, just just so we can drop that hammer in a social situation to go. You read my book, right? Exactly. Or an introduction. Exactly. I, I chat GPT write a book out of the first twenty five episodes of our podcast. What? And oh, geez, it got we're... rave reviews on Amazon. Somebody called it a cheap cash grab, which I thought was excellent. I wish that were true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean. The podcast we like game. those. We like cheap cash grabs. Yeah, the, <laughs> above but, that. But the podcast game, it's a long game, right? It's not. You got to do it. The ones that are overproduced right out of the gate, you know, they they never they're never really good. Yeah. And, and you see a lot of you're seeing a lot more actors start a podcast because like they're on strike and right, stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that was going on. That's pretty good. Let's do a raw cast. Yeah, well, I like uh, to say well, this is a raw dog uh, cast. I hate um, it when he says that. <laughs> um, uh, we ask everybody who comes on uh, the first time on Sweat Equity, we like to ask everybody uh, this question. What advice would you give your 13-year-old self? Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. You just thought we were tank tops and sunglasses. Yeah. Well, we've I've, got one deep question we ask. My, my advice would be don't fall down a mountain when you're 14. But Ooh. I don't know if I would have taken that advice. I'm going to need yeah, some we more. We need that story, please. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, up in Mount Rainier, where are we talking? Are you Seattle born and raised? Uh, I, fell, I fell down a mountain in Sierra Nevada when I was 14. fell about 800 feet. Whoa. Uh, so. Actually, my advice would be fall down the mountain. But make sure you live. I did live, but it was by an accident. You know, it's like it wasn't intentional. Man, was does that give you the energy to live life to the fullest ever since then? It does feel like a freebie. So maybe <laughs> you know, like a, yeah. maybe you don't tell your thirteen-year-old self about that. You got a life. Yeah, I know, maybe that's, no, you, that's you, a good point. You, you I know. see that's why this is such a great podcast. Oh, you guys thank are you. in it. Eight thousand two hundred twenty-seven. Well, we want to, you know, it's a question that kind of, it's a leading question of sorts, because it'll tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Did you, I guess, um, a little bit of adventurous, it seems like? Mountain climbing yeah, yeah, family? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. You know, pretty young to be on a, any kind of... Uh, to be put in that position. Yeah. <laughs> to put myself in that position, that was even yeah. better. Well, there you go. Uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the desert north of Scottsdale. No, uh, no people to speak of, or older sisters. They might have counted as people. One of them is Shelley Morrison, who <laughs> works my podcast. So, okay, she's a person. And uh, a lot of animals and a house full of books. And so I was kind of raised by animals and books, an occasional human to talk to. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Look, I always hate – I have two older sisters. I can't imagine four. I'd be – I don't know. I'd probably be like schizophrenic, but – um, I do look at it as a, a – I am very grateful 
to have two older sisters now because it's like I have I have platonic friend female friends that a lot of guys can't really do that, you know. Well, and I can sit. And, that's it right there. I can sit I and have, gab. I have a bunch, including my wife. <laughs> right. Yes. She's actually she's actually a friend. It's not platonic, but it's a like. We can sit around and talk shop. We can talk personal stuff. We can do all that stuff. And I think it's because I was raised by women. How long have you been married for? Uh, This particular, so I was married twice before. My second wife passed away suddenly in June of 2019, out of the blue. No no disease or anything that we knew about. And uh, I've been married now. Helen and I have been married since July 2 of last year. Okay. So uh, we went on a nice nine-week honeymoon, and uh, when I met her, she was carrying a $5 billion-plus quota for Microsoft. What? Whoa. What's now she's gone on to bigger things. We're talking high, high uh, socialite atmosphere of Seattle here. We're talking, uh, what, what's it, what is it, Bellingham? What is it across the, uh, across the way? We're Microsoft. Oh, are you do Seattle. geography we're bragging? Almost on, we're almost on an island. We're kind of near the beach where people drive, you know, Loud, fast, low riders up and down, and occasional shootings. We we don't participate in the shootings. We watch them. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, Eric was babbling. Where did you say you are now? We're in West Seattle. Okay, okay, okay. So, so we're we're looking out over yeah, the babbler. Uh, out over the water to uh, to the mountains. We also have a house up in Port Townsend, Washington, which is at the end of the peninsula, over on the other side of the water. Mm-hmm. And then we have another house down in uh, Southern Arizona in Green Valley. Not too shabby, Chris. Not too shabby at all. Let's list our house. We're old and we work hard. <laughs> that's great. That's that's good to hear. Uh, and look, Seattle is one of my favorite cities in the country. I've been there about a dozen times. It's uh, I, I've, I performed at Giggles, if you remember that, near UW. <laughs> the comedy club that was a strip club that went back to a Whoop. comedy club. <laughs> Giggles to Wiggles. Yeah. Yeah, that's where some guys waited for me outside and I had to hide in the kitchen until the cops came. It was a cool, it was a cool, cool comedy. Club. Visit Historic. Seattle, <laughs> but you got to make the uh, go eat dicks because there's a dicks uh, burger place in Seattle. You know, yeah, those kind of things. Um, Chris, uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to pick. Like uh, your Booker sent us over some things to to go through, but I kind of like. I want to see what's on your mind lately. And the your CEO. Uh, you know, you're in the sales and selling kind of uh, strategy and guidance. Is that fair to say? Uh, well, actually, what we do is we provide a technology to let somebody who wants to talk to people in sales, like, you know, people that they don't know, let them push a button and talk to somebody on their list in about three minutes with no effort. So we've been doing it for 17 years, and it's one of a kind. It mixes AI and human beings working together so that Careful. a bunch of calls at the same time and you get connected to the target who actually answers. It's pretty magical. Like, so you go from talking to three, four people a day to talking to 30, 40, 50 if you want. So, okay, so it's not humans with AI implants. We're, it's not, both, there. No, it's, We're not there yet, right? <laughs> Thank God. Neuralink. Oh, we got to get on Chris's good side if he's making <laughs> yeah. an RV of... Robot AIs. So you so instead of pursuit of happiness, that movie where Will Smith dialing numbers like doesn't leave his hand. He has a strategy for pushing the numbers on the phone in the seventies or whatever. Uh, You've now you have a phone auto dialer kind of system that's AI driven. 
Yeah, it's both AI and human driven because sometimes you have to talk to a gatekeeper and you have to handle all those weird phone trees and all that stuff out there. So it does everything. It'll call any number, any you know, you, you give it a list of a thousand people, a hundred people, ten people, whatever, and it knows their best phone number too. So it knows which phone number they answer on. It'll make sure that it calls that one instead of the one you provided if you know if that's a smart thing to do. But it's just as simple as you load the list, you say. I want to talk to somebody, you push the green cell button and you talk to somebody. So it sounds like you're more on, um, you know, and this is one of the bullet points we got, the data to find the numbers. Are you more on that side than really a um, super duper, you know, kind of sales center kind of guy? Well, it's more, for me personally, I actually come out of the software world. I've been building software since 1968 and uh, that's a while ago. So, right before I was it like way easier back then? Uh, It was uh, it was harder. Okay, (laughs) that's interesting. Uh, Why is why was it harder? I'm curious. It was harder because you didn't have all those subsystems to do everything for you. Now you kind of you can do no code stuff now, and it Uh does something. There was no code back then, and if you wanted to debug and you were like reading core dumps, you know, I'd I'd go home sometimes the stack of paper. Seven inches high. Okay, yeah, that's a good sit point. Sit there with a ruler and flip it over and over, looking for a pattern in the hexadecimal numbers that right. didn't look totally. Yeah, we did. We did that for fun when we grew up too. Yeah, like HTML was, was, code. We've definitely been there. Yeah, all that stuff. Like it's all the same idea where it's like one little thing is off. Where is it? Right. Gotta find it. Deductive logic. Well, it's you know the digital world is naturally fragile. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, it's the tiniest thing that breaks it. You know, the analog world where we live with our 50 trillion human cells in our body, you can screw that up pretty bad, right? Oh, yeah. You can get up in the morning, you can hit your head, you can stub your toe, you can cut your finger, mm-hmm. it'll be all right. You do any of that to a digital system, it's broken and it's not coming back. Uh, yeah. That's um, a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, uh, tell us about that kind of market intelligence is uh, more of the competitive advantage for y'all. Well, for us, the way we look at the world is this. First of all, in business to business, everybody's scared to death to buy. They don't want to recommend anything because their career's on the line. So here's my comparison. If I buy a Tesla, right? So I go buy the new Tesla. I don't have one now. I bring it home. I drive it around. And, you know, I get this weird symptom. I'm, I'm sitting in the Tesla and, like, my ass starts to itch, right? It's like, what's that all about? So after a few days, say, I go to the doctor and goes, hey, Chris, sorry, you know, you got to get rid of the Tesla. You're allergic to electricity. I go, oh, allergic to electricity. Yeah, okay. Get rid of it, right? Well, what am I out? Maybe five, ten thousand dollars $10,000? I'm going to make that back. I buy that same $70,000 thing for my company. I don't care who I am. I could be the CEO. And it makes the company's ass itch. It doesn't fit in. It doesn't work. That's, that's my career. That's my kid's college education. That's my retirement. So people in B2B are scared to buy. That's very astute. They're scared to make a decision. Yeah, that's and self-preservation for their own career. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so it creates a problem, which is you've got to sell to people you don't know. You can't just sell to people you do know. And you've got to get them to trust you appropriately, by the way, because you're actually trying to help them. And the question is, how do you do that? And that's what we focus on first and foremost is, Look, we're going to connect you to somebody, and it's going to be an ambush. Now what? Now what? Well, so we actually teach folks how to turn that other person's fear into trust in seven seconds, which is all the FBI says we have. We don't have eight. We only have seven. And then how to turn that trust into curiosity and curiosity and commitment so they'll actually 
attend a meeting and you can talk to them about what it is you do and what they might need, right? So we think the whole world of the B2B economy, the innovation economy, is stuck behind that one thing, which is getting another human being to trust you and to do it in the time you have to do it, which is only seven seconds. What's the, yeah, what's the seven seconds? Is a rodeo thing? That's eight seconds. It's a Chris Voss thing. So Chris Voss, he wrote that book, Never Split the Difference. Everybody knows Chris Voss. Oh, I I bought that and haven't read it. (laughs) It's it's sitting on my desk. It's worth listening to. It's actually, it's a better listen than a read. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I was at dinner one night at a, an event, and Chris was there at the table. I was fortunate enough to be sat at the same table as him. And I kind of approached him afterwards and said, hey, how long do we have to get trust in a cold call? Because I figure FBI hostage negotiator starts with a cold call. you gotta got to call the hostage right. taker. First time meeting right. him. So how, they must have studied this. And he just looked at me and goes, seven seconds. I said, really? Because our research says eight seconds. He said, your research is wrong. Good. Seconds. I said, wow, cool. Well, uh, so what do we have to do in that seven seconds? I was a little flustered. He goes, oh, that's easy. All we have to do is show that other person that we see the world through their eyes. We call it tactical empathy. And then we need to demonstrate to them that we are competent to solve a problem they have right now. And I said, well, isn't the problem they have right now me? And he said, yeah, that's why you can't fail. You hold the keys to solving the problem that's you. Huh. You can go away. Just make a deal with them. Wow. Yeah, that's very... This uh, is my like, mind is racing yeah. right now. Okay, how do I use this in my life? Man, we should have done shrooms before we did this. <laughs> no, what? No, yeah, no. We, we, we wouldn't make, you know... I wouldn't even be paying attention. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, man. I got to go think about my life for a little bit. Uh, that was like kind of psych- psychological and phil- philosophical at the same time. Um yeah, so it's like you're you're the self-fulfilling prophecy solution to the own problem you created, yes. uh, and you have to get that across. It reminds me when I took uh, Groundlings school improv classes. They're like, you got to do like 10 things before the lights get up, and you got like maybe seven seconds, something like that. And it's like, wait, I have to figure out the character – I have to have some space work where it looks like I'm invisibly. Like your time's already something. up here while you're asking questions. I have to have a relationship with the other person on stage, so I have to go, Dad. What do you? You know, I can't ask a question. I got to go. You can't fart in my sweatpants anymore. You know, something like that. We have to be in a setting. You know, at Target. You have to figure like all those things like that, right? Yeah. Um, right. Eventually, you get good at it. So I right. believe you can hone this skill. I'm very interested in the delta of that one second difference that flustered you because you're like we got it down to eight you're <laughs> and he's well, like, like it's seven know. bitch and oh, you're yeah, like, like, fuck what is happening in this one second watch hand was slow yeah it could have been anything seems it seems you know, the like FBI negligible more resources right they, they know how to study this thing it's more important to them they were saving lives we're just trying to you know cold call somebody get a meeting but were they it's, it's turned out to be the key to our whole business we've been doing this thing for 17 years we push a button talk to somebody no effort, fast. But what we found was everything came down to the skill and the will of the person holding the conversation. And we'd never expected that. What we thought is, oh, the ecosystem will take care of it. You know, there's trainers out there. They'll train them. But one of the top trainers in the world once called me up, one of the top cold call trainers. He said, Chris, your customer, XYZ, can't say who it is. He says, I just did the best boot camp 
we're with the best ever with those guys. And he told me how great it was, right? So I look at their numbers on a Friday because I've got all their numbers. They were doing 30,000 dials a day, setting about 65 meetings. I looked at their numbers on Monday. No difference. So that kind of thing started to wake me up to, you know what? We've got the means because we can listen to all these conversations. We can deliver them fast so you can coach them. I mean, imagine you're trying to learn something. I don't know what. Uh, you're trying to learn golf swing. And you get to swing the club twice a day. Mm. And the coach shows up at the end of the week and goes, I don't know. I think I don't like your grip. You're not going to get any better. The coach has got to be there on every swing and start from the beginning with not liking your grip, your stance, or your attitude, or whatever, and work with you a little bit at a time so you can get all the way through it. It is like improv, right? You get out there the first time, you're not very good, probably because of those seven things and some other stuff, right? you got to get to where it's ballistic, and you have to be coached through it. So that's why we started this thing called Flight School, where we teach folks how to get the call off the ground, fly it towards its destination, deal with all the turbulence, all the special objections that come up in a cold call, like, hey, we're all set. Everybody's favorite, right? Mm -hmm. No, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you are. On the third grade playground. Mm -hmm. And then how do you land that meeting? So we, we do that, and we do it live fire. People make money doing it. It's not like going out for training like some training class. Uh -huh. It's live fire. You're really selling. You're, you know, you're doing it. And you get coached on every conversation. It's so precise, we coach folks for the first two hours on the first seven seconds of the conversation. What, what, can you, I mean, do you have bullet points on that breakdown? Yeah, how, is it scripted? I mean, seven seconds, how much could you learn about this other person in seven seconds to even have a reaction to something, you know, and I, but this is your gimmick, so we'll hear from you. But I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to figure this out as we go. Yeah, do you have to apologize like when I last seven seconds in bed and go, I'm sorry, sorry, you're so hot, sorry. Very, very, very similar. You got to throw yourself under the bed. It's like under the bus. You're just, the you look so hot tonight, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's not that apology, but it's very close. So uh, you, do have to, you do have to show them that you see the world through their eyes. So what we teach people to say, and there's a lot of ways to do this, but we teach people something that's easy to learn, which is just to say, I know I'm an interruption. Not like, oh, I, I believe I might be interrupting your day. None of this putting it off on your day or any of this. It's like, I know I am a bad thing. I am an interruption. Because that's how you see the world. And then you change your voice. And you change it to a voice the FBI calls playful curious. It means, come along with me. We're going somewhere fun. And you yes, show them your problem. I got a quick question. Problem, which is, you can go away. And then just ask a simple question. It's a question of fact, actually. You can have 27 seconds to tell you why I called. And if you say that just right, those two things, which only take about five seconds, then most people will say, uh, sure, or oh, you got 17 seconds, or whatever. That's the first time you learn something about them. That's how they respond to that question about the 27 seconds. Now, almost everybody calls this a permission-based opener. It's not. It's not at all. It's a trust-building opener. The purpose is to build trust through an involuntary reaction inside somebody else's brain, way down in their midbrain, where they're going to hear this and go, sure, go ahead. Now you got a problem, of course. you got to go ahead, right? But at least you got that far. You got from fear because they're afraid of you. They're afraid of you because you're an invisible stranger. I mean, think about that place you used to work, right? You step out back, there's a dark, invisible stranger is a problem. You want the lights on. Yeah. You want to see what's going on. Well, you can't turn the lights on on a telephone. 
that person ambushes you, you you're in the grip of an invisible stranger. Your heart rate goes up, your little pupils get big, your hands get a little sweaty. You don't want to admit it. Nobody wants to say they're scared. But, you know, when you answer a cold call, it's a mistake. And you're a little bit afraid of what's going to happen next. So we want to turn that fear into trust. The fear is the springboard. The trust is where you're trying to get the energy going forward. And it works most of the time. You've got to learn to do it, though. It's not easy. So you just said a, answering the cold call is a mistake. On the so user end. Like, right, no, I know. Saying that the, I, under, I get that. Yeah, I'm but just saying it's an interesting way to put it. They, they already know the fuck that is how up. everybody thinks. Because everybody does think it's a, a mistake. So they're you vulnerable. Don't do it on accident. They're vulnerable. Damn it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like the position they're in. You think of it this way. In the environment of evolution, we lived in villages. The people from the village across the river show up in the night. And they're invisible and they're strangers. We don't like them. It's not good. Yeah. They're not bringing us a Bud Light. Mm -hmm. they're, they're coming in to change the demographics of our village suddenly and violently. Mm. We don't like people that we don't know in the dark. And when you call somebody, hey, you're in the dark. They can't see you. Yeah. It, um, are you, have you studied a lot of this psychology? Uh, it sounds like you have on the, on like a case study kind of level, right? But, it, you know, this gets into tribalism. This gets into grouping, all those kind of things. Are you? It's a very visceral reaction you're playing into. I mean, yeah. tactical empathy is very. Or did I say that right? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the FBI thing. Well, it reminds me of the pickup artist. Remember that guy? Right. The, you ever heard of that guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, oh, we took a couple things from. Him. Hey, I mean, it's like it's a, it's you know psychologically. I don't want to say manipulating, but you know, it's just kind of knowing what's well, possible and what you know. He's playing to vulnerability. Right. I think the whole strategy was to call a girl out on something she she has. Uh, say something nice that's kind of backhanded in the middle of it, um, but be like, your hair looks, you know, oh, that's kind of a weird haircut, and then just kind of turn turn your shoulder or something. Right. Um, and it plays, because it plays to the vulnerability and insecurity of women out at a bar looking for men. Sure. Um, uh, and it opens up a conversation, but also it's a numbers game to him. Uh, he has no soul, so he doesn't care. <laughs> right. So, um, I feel like uh, sales calls... You know, I was just telling Eric uh, right before we got on air, have you seen the telemarketers on HBO yet? No, I haven't. I didn't even know that was a thing. That sounds interesting. He spoke very highly of it. It's a great said documentary. It, he said it might be the best documentary he's ever seen. Yeah. It wow. Could be recency bias. And I do trust it. I, I, you know, I have friends that I don't trust their movie opinions. You know, you're like, oh, okay. But I, I do well, they, sure, they, so they kind of fell we'll into see it. What happens. This this kid in like oh seven, who's fourteen, he dropped out of school and had to get a job and he got it in this telemarketing place and he started uploading videos to YouTube. So they they have all this footage from back in the day. And it's about the scam of like um the fraternal order of police donations they were doing. I, I don't know if you've heard of that scam at all, but uh it's pretty gross. And then, yeah, I've had that. I've had that one played on me. Sure, I, I didn't bite, but you didn't want the sticker to get out of the <laughs> to get out of a ticket that never happens because they're right. not affiliated <laughs> with it. Yeah, um, no, I just get the ticket. Yeah, it's rather sad. Well, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the psychology is everything. Sales is B two B sales is different from B two C sales. So you're selling to consumers. As I said they're risking their money. You're selling to businesses. That person's risking their career. It's a bigger deal than their money. 
They're risking their reputation. They're risking their entire future. And the easy thing to do is nothing, which is why in B2B, almost all sales pursuits end in nothing, no decision. Everybody thinks that's because, well, you know, no, nobody was good enough, but that's not the issue. The issue is the buyer's got to trust one of the sellers more than they trust themselves because they're not the expert. You're the expert. You're the seller. So now you've got to exceed their own trust threshold. If they think that they know enough to say no, they're going to say no because they don't ever think they know enough to say yes. <laughs> it's right. Like it's easy to say no. So it's, B2B is, is much, much harder to sell than B2C. B2C is a simple risk. It's your, it's your money. And maybe if you're buying something that's going to be sort of show you off socially, you know, clothes, a hat, whatever, you know, then you might be a little concerned about that. But hey, if people laugh at you once, at least you can put that sucker aside. You don't have to wear it, right? But you can't put aside the fact that you bought something. I'll, I'll never wear culottes up. again. Uh. Oh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I won't show you what I got on. <laughs> uh, I guarantee it's not as bad as what we're wearing over here. Uh, <laughs> it's still pretty hot over here in Florida. Um, you know, we're on the marketing side mostly of, of things. And I, I, I think... I don't want to speak for Eric, but I think we always kind of thought it's weird that sales and marketing are kind of separated. Um, they, they point fingers at each other kind of thing. Right. To us, I, I think maybe because maybe we're more on the digital side coming into a lot of this uh, kind of business theory and practice and management and stuff. Um, well, I, I just feel like it's all, it's all should be one cohesive thing and not separated groups. What the sales marketing conflict what do you have what can you kind of what kind of wisdom can you tell us about that well i got a measurement that is interesting so we measure the pipeline that's built out of conversations and the way we do it is our customers let our technology access their salesforce system or whatever and we analyze their opportunities just to ask a simple question which is did somebody from your company have a conversation with somebody from their company before that particular deal. Because after all, they're using our technology to have tons of conversations, right? So we map that back. And then we tell you how many dollars of pipeline at what stage of the process uh, those deals are in. And here's what we thought. We thought just like everybody else, hey, you know, everything comes out of meetings. and sales, you talk to somebody, you set a meeting, you hold the meeting, you go forward, you know, and you do demos, blah, 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 and you get to a deal. What we found is that two-thirds of all the business that comes from cold calling has nothing to do with meetings. It has to do with marketing. You talk to somebody, they go to your website. Now, why do you buy Google ads? Why do you set up SEO? Why do you do digital marketing at all? To be Ultimately, found. you want them to come to you and then your CTA call to action actually appeals to them and they take an action, right? Well, how do you get them to the website? It turns out sales and marketing converge inside the humble cold call. Because in almost every case, that person is going to do two things. One is they're going to go to your website. Secondly, they're going to answer that email that you send them that says, thank you for our conversation today, which is the easiest email in the world to send and get open. And you, you exit the world of spam through the door of the relationship and the cold call. So they come together right there. Marketing people don't know it because they don't listen to cold calls. Salespeople don't know it because they're myopic and they're just trying to turn them into it. <laughs> they're 
yeah, they're tapping knees and uh, rolling calls. It's um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's omni-channel integrated marketing, uh, and it's different for every every business's strategy, right? Um, I always use the buy a car scenario, right? And I, I go, I use this more for an offline online kind of thing, but it, it it's applicable to this. It's like it's on average, it's twenty five touch points to buy a car, right? And some of that's subconscious hitting you. There's ads in the paper that you, you throw away, but you might see it real quick, or you might get those emails. And it kind of warms it up in your head a little bit. So 19 of them are digital, and six on average are offline. But they have to work together to close the sale, because the, the linear method of the touch points is different every time. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, what we've discovered is, I don't know why this is surprising. When you start with a relationship built inside the other person's midbrain, inside their old brain, and you start with trust, everything else flows easily digitally. Digital gets cheap and effective. Digital is always cheap, unless you're paying Google. But it's not always effective. You've got to have a lot of numbers out there. You've got to put a lot of stuff out. It's hard to target. Who are you targeting? Well, you think you know who you're targeting, and then you find out maybe you're not quite targeting right, right? So imagine... And not instead, but as an adjunct, like the first approach to a market, you say, well, some subset of these people, I can get on the phone. What is that subset? It's about 37%. Okay, how about if I talk to them, learn what it is that they would love to see and what we're offering. And by the way, the ones that don't want to take a meeting, because only 5 to 8% will take a meeting. I mean, the most brilliant cold callers in the world get up around 30%. But these people are geniuses. And most of them, 5 to 8% is pretty good. Well, what about the 95 to 92%? Where are they going? Well, you didn't really lose them. You had a conversation with them. They know your voice. They've heard your company's name. They've forgotten a lot of it, but that's all right. But they probably went to your website while you're talking to them. We actually are measuring this now. I'll call it forward. So we're working with a company called Signals.ai out of, of uh, Utah, and we've analyzed our own company and just asked this question. We don't, we're not very happy with our website, but it seems to produce about a third of our business. We don't pay Google a dime. Google told us this once, by the way. The head of advertising of Google once said to me, you know, you're our vendor of the year, and it bothers us that you've never paid us any money. You're like the only company in Silicon Valley that's never paid the Google tax. And I said, well, we just talk to people. Right? That's what we do. What we didn't get is, we just talked to people, and we're doing what a Google ad would do. Right, <laughs> so right. Yeah, you're with the human touch. Not even, not even that. It's even more effective because you're reaching out. It's a push versus pull, right? You're waiting for people to to find with intent. That's their deal, right? They have to get intent uh, of the user, whereas you're going out and and finding that user before they right. may know they go to look something up with intent, right? So you kind of cut them off before they even get to that part, which is... Uh... Even better, too. Your big problem in B2B, and it's all, all sales, right, is whatever it is you're selling, they already have solved that problem. They're just solving it in a way that you think you can help them solve it better. I mean, nobody buys stuff to solve a problem they don't have. And if they have a problem, they've been solving the problem. The question is, can you help them solve it in a new way? So brand new stuff never really sells. I mean, that's what... Jeffrey Moore wrote about crossing the chasm. You can only sell that to certain kind of freaky people. But regular people and regular businesses buy to solve a problem they've already solved. It's better. 
And they'll only do it about once every three years for any product category, for any problem category. So you got a one quarter period for them to consider buying. You got three years as the replacement cycle. So that means that 11 twelfths of your market is not in market right now, of your perfect market, your 100% market. You're not in market. So what are you going to do about it? Well, classically, we say, let marketing nurture them. But how do you do that competitively? How, do you, how is your content, your nurturing program, oh, so much better than everybody else's that you win when they come around again? Well, it's simple. Talk to them once a quarter. The only ones you're going to get to talk to are the ones that answer the phone. Thank God, once they answer the phone, you know that they answer the phone. <laughs> so call them again. So we have a whole program built into Connect and Sell where you just set it and forget it. You say, hey, I talked to Mary. Mary said, not good timing, don't want to take a meeting, you know, going to the Riviera, whatever. Okay, I just stick a date out there, quarter out, and say, little teleprompter, hey, Mary, when we spoke back on the 19th of September, you said you were heading to the Riviera. I hope it was a great trip. Is now a better time to talk. Suddenly, you're a genius because you're doing marketing, the long-term nurture, and you're doing it with the human voice, which carries 20,000 bits a second of emotional information. And that changes the whole game. So the whole idea, the reason I got this podcast, the Market Dominance Guys podcast, is if you do it right with the human voice, it's not the cold calling that makes it work. It's the follow-up. And it's not regular follow-up because you do all the digital stuff. It's magic follow-up. You're inside their head. Yeah. Get somebody out of your head once they're talking to you. You might not even have a relationship with them, but subconsciously they think they do. They're totally obsessed with you. Because it's familiar, right? And it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, where everybody in self-preservation mode. You get past that, then you can follow up, follow up. Oh, I kind of know this person. I have a relationship with this They're person. They're trying to help me. Except you don't know them at all. Yeah. That's interesting. This is, uh, this is some uh, really interesting stuff. I, I think we got to go out on that note. You, you're, you might have to make some phone calls. I gotta make. I gotta record. I gotta record a couple episodes of Market Dominance, guys. Actually, well, if you ever need some scab (laughs) scab guests to be on your podcast, we can ask all the dumb questions. Yeah, you need some dumb guy questions. Yeah, this is this is great stuff, guys. I love your questions. I love your whole thing. You know, this it's a fascinating world we live in when you think about it, right? The innovation economy we totally depend on. We're not sitting in caves eating bugs. Almost everything we do, we're getting out of some bunch of companies working together make stuff happen that's the world we live in it's kind of made by innovation turning into products we're talking to each other now through the most complex set of things that have ever been done and there must be a hundred thousand products between you and me right now that are making stuff happen and we depend on it for our lives now and yet the entire innovation economy is bottlenecked on that first relationship when somebody has a solution needs to be trusted by somebody as a problem so that they can actually look at the solution. And that's why we're in business. That's what we're all about, is pulling the cork out of the innovation economy so some value can flow, because that's what we all need. We all need those innovations to go to market. And by the way, most of them are pretty good, and most of them fail because they don't go to market. You've got a Jedi kind of mastery of talking about this. It's, uh, it's very interesting. I appreciate you coming on and uh, dispensing this wisdom. We didn't even get to the... Um, I wanted to talk to you about the bottleneck stuff. We'll have to have you on again because um, I do believe the bottleneck starts above the sales funnel as well. Where you have, right above the top. Yeah. yeah. You, you well, gotta know, I'll you, come on anytime you guys want. You're too much fun. 
All right. Oh, we didn't. We made like what seventy percent less crass jokes this time. Oh, we were on our best behavior. Yeah. Hey, and I even offered that my ass itched. Right. <laughs> you had the Tesla ass uh, roasting problem. What was it? Uh, an allergy to electricity. That was good. Prolapsed anus right. in the car. That's thanks, all I heard. Thanks a lot, Elon. <laughs> thanks, Elon. Yeah. Yeah. We know each other better now. Yeah. Elon. All right, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate Thank you. it. All right. Thanks so much, guys. See ya. Yeah.